Thanks for listening to Dr. Mike's podcast from Compass Church in Salinas. Today he's talking about grit when it looks hopeless. Many of us are facing situations that look hopeless. Maybe it's in a relationship or at work or with your business. So here's Dr. Mike to encourage you that God does miracles. Well, I want to welcome all of those who are watching from our campus on Padre Drive and especially those in Marina. Welcome. I hope this message encourages you. Well, this morning is the last in this series that I'm doing on grit. And today I'm talking about what to do when someone or something looks hopeless. Hopeless. That's such a hard, cruel, sad word, isn't it? Hopeless. Who comes to mind for you or what in your life? You've tried everything maybe to improve your marriage. You've begged, you've pleaded, you've bribed, you've threatened. But nothing has changed. And it just looks hopeless. Or maybe it's someone at work that you have done your best to communicate with, but they don't change. They're just as negative, just as judgmental as always. Hopeless. Or maybe it's not who in your life, but what looks hopeless. Maybe a dream that now seems out of reach. Or maybe you've made regrettable choices and you've dug a deep hole, a deep, deep hole for yourself in your life and it just looks like you'll never get out of that hole. Or maybe you've taken some hits and some things that are precious to you in your life are now just ashes. It looks hopeless for you ever to recover. When the bottom falls out of your life, what do you do? That's David. His life had been golden. In the Bible, it talks about how he had slain Goliath, how he was at the top of the opinion pose of Israel because of that. The army loved him. All the women of Jerusalem loved him. He lived in a plush house, slept on a western heavenly bed. His life was golden. And then the bottom dropped out of it. King Saul becomes jealous, so jealous that he sends a hit squad to kill David. And David barely escapes his life out the back window of his home and flees to the desert to hide in one of the hundreds of caves that are out there. One night he's sleeping on a heavenly bed. The next night he's sleeping on the dirt floor of a cave. His home, his reputation, his wealth, his status, all gone. His wife even marries another man. I think David is an example that life is what happens to us when we had other plans. Haven't some of you experienced that? Life is what happened to you when you had other plans. 
The cave is where you're losing hope. The cave is where you lick your wounds. The cave is a place of tears. The cave is a dark, dark place. What makes it worse is you can look out the opening of the cave and you see sunshine and you see people enjoying a sunny, golden life. But you're in the cave and you're envious. Some of you are in the cave right now, aren't you? Others of you are not in the cave today. Your life is like David's life when it was golden. You've had one good thing after another happen to you, an unbroken string of successes, and it's wonderful. But I promise you, one day, you'll do time in the cave. Everyone in this life, sooner or later, does time in the cave. Eventually, everyone spends time in the cave. I have. Several times in my life, I've done cave time. Everyone does. Have you ever thought things couldn't possibly get worse? And then they do? That's what happens to David. Ziglag is just down the road from the cave where it gets worse. Who's ever phoned that is, you owe us pizza. <laughs> Put the phone number up there on there. Do we have the phone number? Yes, it is. <laughs> no, we're serious. We want 20 pepperoni pizzas and Cokes all around, okay? I just have to ask you, please disconnect. And two weeks ago, we had throughout the service, ping, ping, ping. I'm going, thank you for turning off your phones. But order that pizza. Don't turn it off yet. <laughs> have you ever thought things couldn't get worse and then they do? Saul sends his special forces on a search-and-destroy mission after David. David is running from cave to cave, just steps ahead of Saul's special forces until he makes a desperate move. He moves into the village of Ziglag, where Goliath's relatives live, the Philistines. Yes, Goliath's relatives. And he moves into that village because it's a source of protection for him. And one thing leads to another. And one day David is away for a few days with his army. And during that time, the Amalekites attack, burn Ziglag to the ground, and take David's two wives and the wives of all the men in his army and their children away as slaves. Verse 4, 1 Samuel 30 says, They wept until they had no more tears. Have you ever done that? I have. When my son died, I wept until I had no more tears. Sooner or later, it happens to everyone. It gets worse for David. 
David's men blame him. They're bitter about their loss and they want to kill David, make him responsibility, responsible for what's happened. David hits rock bottom in his life. He's lost everything. And now he's truly alone and Saul is still hunting him with his special forces. You talk about being on the edge of losing all hope. When everything's against you and you're alone, no one is standing with you. That's David. And then the most amazing thing happens in verse 6. The Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Not just God, he's talking about his God. This is one of the most important lines in all of the Bible. It tells us how to be resilient when it looks hopeless and how to have grit instead of losing hope. And I'd like to share with you what David teaches us here in this verse. First, David teaches us hope is a choice. It's not a feeling, it's a choice based on the fact that you can never be too sure what cannot happen. You can never be too sure what cannot happen. You know, I hear people predict their future or the future of somebody else. They are always talking beyond what they know, especially when they're horribleizing. They're saying more than they know. That day in the smoking ruins of Ziglag, it looked like the end of David. If he somehow managed to survive the hatred of his army, his future still looked bleak. But surprises were ahead. Did you know that just three days later, he was made king? Saul was dead and he was made king of Israel. You never know what's going to happen in life. So the Cubs come back after being down three games to one in the World Series. The Cle Cleveland pitching staff looked invincible. But the Cubs began to hit them, and they won. And David, as a teenage shepherd, kills Goliath. The fact is, professional predictors of the future have a fabulous record of being wrong. Whether it's economists predicting the future of the economy, PhDs, or whether it's at New Year's people who supposedly know everything predicting, you look back, they have a fabulous record of failure. Paul Harvey made a fortune telling us the rest of the story. You can never be too sure what cannot happen. For example, a man named Fleming is working with bacteria culture in St. Mary's Hospital. And one night he makes a mistake and leaves the window open. And all night a breeze blows through that window, bringing in germs that contaminate his bacteria culture experiment. And the next day he comes and he sees the experiment and he thinks it's ruined. But out of curiosity, he puts that culture underneath a microscope and he notices that a certain mold is killing 
germs that have come through the window that night. Today we call it penicillin. You can never be too sure what's going to happen when it looks ruined. Or there's a fellow who works in a plant over in Cincinnati, Ohio. It's a Procter & Gamble plant, and his job is to make soap in this giant vat with this paddle stirring the vat all day long. When he leaves one night, he forgets to turn the vat off, and all night long that paddle goes around in that liquid, and the next morning when he comes, the paddle is stuck. What's inside the vat has become rock hard like a stone. It's ruined. So he takes a shovel and begins to shovel it out a window into a truck. It's raining. He notices that some of the pieces of the ruined soap fall into puddles of water. And it floats. We call it ivory. And it's made Procter & Gamble millions. You can never be too sure what good things are ahead. So keep your hope. I'm not saying that you will win every time if you don't give up. I'm not saying that everything will turn out rosy for you if you don't give up. But I am saying to you, if you give up, definitely what you hope is going to happen will not happen. Hope is a choice. It's the choice to believe never say never. Life has too many surprises to say never. And so three days later, David is king. Never say never. Secondly, hope is the decision to give God time to do for you what no one else can do. Hope is a form of waiting. It's giving God time to work. And of course, that's my problem. I'm always in a hurry and God is not. It's hard for me to wait. I'm, I'm like your children in the back seat of your car on a road trip, uh, a road trip continually asking, when are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? For me, my picture of hell is a Costco checkout line. But hope is a form of waiting. Hope gives God time to surprise you. Gives God time. You know, miracles take a little time. Favorite verse of the Bible readers is Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. It says, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I hate that verse. I've heard so many sermons on this verse telling me that I must soar like an eagle and run and not faint. I got to tell you, there have been times in my life when I've been so damaged I could not soar like an eagle. I was too damaged. There have been times in my life I could not run because I was hurt too much. I could not run. All I could do was walk. No, not just walk. All I could do, honestly, was shuffle. Like an old guy with his walker. 
just shuffle. I want to tell you that shuffling counts with God too. Yes, it does. Sometimes that's all you can do, but just keep shuffling forward. Don't look back because you're not going that way. Just keep shuffling forward, and that's a good thing. Just keep moving. Don't give up. That's what David did that day in the smoking ruins of Ziglag. He did not soar like an eagle. He wept till he had no tears left. He did not run. He wept until he had no tears left. And then he got up and he shuffled. And three days later, he was king. Shuffling forward is still perseverance, and that counts. Perseverance is loyalty to your dreams. It's loyalty to your dreams. Winston Churchill said this, I attribute my success to this. I refuse to use available excuses to give up. I refuse to use available excuses. There are always excuses available to quit. Don't use them. That's grit. That's giving time for God to work, even if it's a few years. Itzhak Perlman is paralyzed from the waist down, but he still became a very famous concert violinist. Stephen Hawking? He has no control over anything in his body. He's wheelchair bound. But he can control his mind. He shuffled forward and now he's a world famous physicist. Tom Dinsey, he was born without any toes on his right foot. So he learned to kick with his left foot and became a world class place kicker in the NFL. Persistence means never thinking a series of defeats is final defeat. It's shuffling forward. So how does that apply to you this morning? With what or with whom in your life do you need to persevere and keep shuffling forward? Don't look back because you're not going that way. That's what you learned from David. Third, hope is a person. It's a person. It's not some tricky model, some positive thinking like that. Hope is a person. David is surrounded with trouble. Worse, he's alone as he faces all these bad things in his life. His men have turned against him, abandoned him, his family is gone, his wife is married, his first wife and married another man, and his best friend, Jonathan, is back in the palace with his father, King Saul. David is alone. Or is he? David wrote Psalm 57 while he was in the cave hiding from Saul. 
And this is what he writes in the very first sentence. Have mercy on me, my God, for in you I will take refuge. A lot of people talk about, I believe in God. David's not saying that. He says, I'm talking about my God, in whom I take refuge. It's a personal relationship. David is not alone. In the darkness, God is standing by his side in the darkest time of his life, and God will stand with you in the same way if you know him. If you know him, you can see him in the darkness. You can talk to him in the darkness. You can feel him in the darkness if you know him. We speak of my house, my car, my family. But can you say, my Jesus, my Savior? Jesus, my Lord. Jesus, my refuge. Jesus, my strength in a time of trouble. Can you honestly say, my Jesus? That's what it means to have a personal relationship with him. And it makes all the difference. And that's how David encouraged himself. And that's where he found strength and grit in a person. And his name is Jesus. Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen God. He found his strength in his God, whose name is Jesus. Do you know Jesus personally? Do you walk with him? Does he talk to you and you listen to him? Do you know him? C.S. Lewis, my favorite author, wrote a masterful little book called Screwtape Letters. And what it is is an imaginary discussion between a veteran devil and a rookie devil whom he is uh, training. And so this master devil in every ch short chapter is giving him tips on how to mess up your life and my life. And in one of the chapters, the rookie devil has really messed up. A person who's been put in his charge has converted to Jesus Christ. He's become a Christian. And the veteran devil warns him, you're going to pay a heavy price for this. But then he says, not all is lost. And let me read to you why the devil thinks there's still hope for the devil. He says, there's no need to despair. Hundreds of adult converts have been reclaimed after a brief time in the enemy's camp, that is God's the enemy, with God, and are now back with us. Why? Because all the habits of the person, both mental and bodily, are still in our favor. So many people come to believe in Jesus, but they don't change their mental habits. Mentally, they're still judgmental as they were before they became a Christian. Mentally, they're still as negative as they were before they think negative thoughts. Mentally, they're still critical as just as they were before they became a Christian. Mentally, they are just as selfish as they were before they became a Christian. 
If we don't change our pre-Christian mental habits, we're still available to the Satan. And it's not the Christian life. Many Christians keep their pre-Christian thinking. But worst of all, many Christians can go a full day or even a week without including Jesus in their thought life. Jesus is left out of their thinking all day long. Mental habits from before they were Christians. Do you include Jesus in your daily thought life? If we don't, it's simply thinking like a pagan, isn't it? And that's why the veteran devil says, all is not lost when a person becomes a Christian. If they're still not including Jesus in their thoughts, they are easy to make discouraged. They are easy to make angry and judgmental. They have not learned to think like a Christian mentally. There are legions of Christians who still have the mental habits of their pre-Christian life. And this is not insignificant because I tell you, you are what you think all day long. Yes, you are. You are what you think all day long. So if we are not including Jesus in our life and changing our pre-Christian judgmental and negative thinking habits, we become judgmental and negative people instead of living like a Christian. We've got to have grit. We've got to take God's word into ourself and into our mind. And that's what Jeremiah did in the hard time of Jerusalem being overrun and carted off to Babylonia. Jeremiah wrote, When your words came, O Lord, I ate them. They were joy in my heart's delight. Jeremiah actually ate the word of God. That means he digested it. So did Ezekiel and so did David. The Psalms are all about David digesting the word of God. We hear all the time we are what we eat, aren't we? Don't you hear that? That's never more true than mentally. You are what you think. If you want to become a certain kind of person, you must watch your mental diet because you'll become what you think. Here's an example. The Bible says nothing is impossible for God. That's on my mirror. Every morning I digest that, I eat that, I take it into my life, and it keeps my hope up even in a tough day. Or Jesus says, ask and you shall receive. He says, I will never, never leave you nor forsake you. I feed my mind on the word of God and it affects me. That's how I keep my hopes up. Let me ask you, with what or with whom would you decide this morning to persevere with instead of declaring them hopeless. With whom or with what would you choose this morning to at least shuffle forward? 
Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to make choices, not just leave here choiceless, but to make some adjustments in our life with what we've heard from David. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to Dr. Mike's podcast from Compass Church in Salinas. We sure hope it encouraged you and that you'll share it with a friend who needs encouragement. We also hope you know that all three of our locations with our five worship services are open on Sundays and are safe. We'd sure love to see you and for you to hear Dr. Mike live this Sunday. Visit our website, compasschurchmc.org for service times and locations. God bless you and thanks for listening.